Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode is with Jupiter Kayonga from Jupiter Connection. I spoke to Jupiter about how he survived the genocide in Rwanda in 1994, and how he got into the world of travel photography. All of that and much more. Jupiter, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. How are you and how is Paris? Thank you, Sheps. Thanks for having me. Um, Paris is gloomy and grey as um, as London. <laughs> oh, it's always, <laughs> gloomy, always gloomy here, unfortunately. <laughs> Even during the summer, it's always gloomy. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's good. Briefly, just tell people who you are. Briefly? Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Name is Jupiter, so I'm a travel photographer. I'll say um, I'm acts on adventure side storytelling obviously i'm very passionate about people um i'm a people's person it's not even a thing <laughs> um yeah i mean photography for me has come from um for my 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 passion of wanting to tell my story and uh, i sort of with documenting myself through time and since my story as you know like i was a refugee and um the photography was still in, into me very at a very early age. And so when I flee my country, um, I sort of lot, lost a lot of things. And so in a way of me trying to sort of pursue that documentation and trying to narrate my story, and even when I get to meet with people and connect, people tell you stories and you exchange over experiences. And so it was like, what's the medium that sort of like is so deep into me, so ingrained into me that I wanted to continue telling those stories. So I was like, oh, photography is something that I should really pursue. Um, although at the beginning, I didn't pay too much attention to it. It only came down the line. Um, once I started sort of traveling, when I got a job in Dubai, that's when I was like, oh, okay, then I need to document this. And uh, I, saw it, I didn't even think about it. It just came naturally. And then the evolution of my storytelling from that time to this time has sort of evolved. I want to take you back and mm-hmm. take you back to your early beginnings and ask you about why you fell in love with travel. And you've got a very interesting story, actually, and it's quite a sad story as well at the same time. So just explain to people where your initial love came from. I think, if I can say on the side note, I think originally my name, uh, Jupiter, was like, you don't give a kid's name Jupiter and the kid doesn't love travel, right? I don't know, like you give a kid's name Michael Jordan, he doesn't like basketball. Anyway, um, my my parents worked uh, predominantly in the tourism industry. Um, my mom working on airline, my dad had a safari um, sort of business in Rwanda, take, taking guides, um, guiding people to go and see like, animals such as gorilla, giraffes, gazelles, and antelopes. Um, so I always say, I. I evolved. Even my other extended family are people who've traveled extensively. Um, we've evolved around the world to travel. So giving me that name, Jupiter, which is like a planet and sort of out of space, and then having those family dynamics and life dynamics um, allowed me to sort of rotate or gravitate around travel for like a little while. 
And then obviously my destiny was changed when there was the genocide. Then I had to flee my country and go from country to country. And it was it was there, like without being there at the same time, or was traveling maybe under different circumstances. Um, until actually I, I was able to get a job that allowed me to explore and travel. Although when I was a student, I was always traveling in my mind or in my head. I remember when I was in in Africa, I always tell kids, I'll be like, Yo, I'll be going to these places, I'll be going to that places. It was sort of a premonition or somehow like an ether sort of communication with my other self. Because fast forward a few years later, I was like going to South Africa, I was in I was in Malaysia, I was in, in Brazil, and it was crazy. Like, I mean, you wouldn't even think it was something that was possible. You mentioned the genocide within Rwanda. Now... And you also said that your family were in tourism. So I read that your father ran a safari. That's right. Did you see what it was like? And did you think, wow, this is this is amazing? Or was it like a very normal thing because he does it every day? It's part of his job. You don't really notice anything different. That's a great question. Um, so I was nine years old. I wasn't like that age of like sort of helping out, you know. Uh, but um, he would bring tourists to our house and stuff. And so... They sort of, because it's in Africa, you know, you don't see white people every day. It's like sort of like that, wow, you know, you new thing. It's like, wow, have white people coming over, have dinner, cook for them, and show me pictures of like the what they've taken on um, on the on the safari that day. Uh, and so, like that sort of thingy was was what maybe you sort of like the grain i would say that was just instilled in me at an early age this was the 1990s wasn't it yeah yeah that was 1990 i would say if we go back between 80 1990 89 you know going into 1994 almost just one so around about that time where people the you mentioned the genocide and mm. people traveling to places like rwanda more often it was very unique it was not a lot of people like people okay. used to travel around at that time we're more like we'll go into geared safari. It was such a small country as well. It's a landlocked country. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, people who were like into safari, so a little bit of business. Um, it was not even until like my father sort of took us to actually to Dubai that I started like, okay, that's like our first major travel. And we went to Ethiopia and, and stuff like that. The biggest thing that happened in your life early on was that your father, unfortunately, got it unfortunately passed away and this was a life changer for you. I can't imagine what it, what you went through as a, as a young boy, mm. but in terms of, did you realize, my goodness, this has changed my life now. You know, I've got no one to look up to in terms of a father figure. What impact did it have on your life? Mm, great question, Shebs. Uh, I would say I wasn't, um, I think on the impact, the data, it actually happened. It was so quick. It was so quick. Like it was a split second. It was like, you know, like that feeling of something funny has happened, but you don't know what yet. Or you can't even sort of comprehend and stuff like that. Um, and so I remember with my, with my sis, my little brother, um, we saw him and then we didn't see him again. All we just had were like gunshots and stuff and he was with friends and stuff in the house. And actually, at the point before he got killed, we had like all this moment where we are sort of in front of um, the Brodacian and sort of gathered us in the living room and like, should we kill them or should we not kill them? And that was like, I was at gunpoint. I mean, like that was when I saw face to face 
the gun barrel to my head. He got murdered right in front of you. Not like in front, like, so I was like in this room and then he was in the living room. So they sent us to the living room to kill them. Wow. Mm. And this was, and this, this happened when you were this young and. Yeah, at nine, yeah. Wow. In terms of, I'm trying to figure out in terms of, did it have any scars, mental scarring? Because to, to know that your father, I mean, I, I applaud you for talking about it because not many people mm. can talk about it, but um, for you to go through that at that age, mental scarring, has that left you sort of vulnerable or has it has it made you stronger? Not a tricky question. <laughs> I'll say it's a double-edged sword. Mm. Because for the first, uh, I'll say the first part of my life or something, for a majority of my life, I'll say that it's something that I sort of, mm, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of like, uh, it's not like I'm coming to ask for justice or something like that. It happened so quick that it was such a whirlwind that was something that was embedded in me that at that moment, like I was, it happened. I was like, okay, um, I, I was trying to protect my little brother and sister, although I, it's like it's not like I could provide them protection, protection. And so from that moment, I sort of had to pause my child childhood and become sort of like a man of the family a little bit. Um, and so I didn't have the time to process it. At the same time, it's like you put it on pause. At the same time, you see you're growing up. And you have to deal with like the daily lives of being a 10-year-old and going to a new country, learning a new language, hormones, um, teenagehood, and all that stuff. Everything was sort of mixed. So I didn't really have the time to sort of, when I talk about it with people, my best friends and other people and stuff like that, I, I was sort of like, yeah, it's because I know like I'm, I have like a very strong empathy because I know what people go I, I was lucky to have maybe my mom and a few of my family left over but i know people that had lost their entire family i know pregnant women that got chopped up and killed the baby women who were raped so it's like i was at the at the i had like the lesser pain although it's still like a huge pain and so the challenge for me when i was growing up is always like how can i sort of soothe that pain and the, that sort of trauma and not let it sort of affect my life on the daily life and try and do something for myself. Because I always come back to that is like out of 8 million people who died, I'm still alive. So it's like, okay, I'm alive. Maybe I'm here for a reason. I have to find my purpose. I have to try and do something for myself. Even though sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes life is unfair. And so it's trying to find the balance between these two worlds, even though sometimes I try not to i try and, um, and sort of try and i know that the healing part is going to take time and so i try and know that okay this healing part is going to take time i'm not going to try and resolve it today but i try and heal it as i go along it's yeah. it's a very delicate balance but it's i think it's something that uh, i think is what i find you know yeah to go through something so traumatic at an early age in your life you know it can uh, it can either go either way so you could scar you for life you can't move on. It's affected you or do what you've done. You seem to have grasped it and moved on with it and trying to make sure your father's legacy is intact. Did the safari 
business sort of fold? Did it completely finish because of what happened to your father? Or have you still got that business going in Rwanda still? Unfortunately, no. I wish I had that. Um, I think it's it's funny how life works, actually. Um, because obviously, like, during the genocide, I mean, everything that you have, you just forget it. You know, like, imagine if there was a genocide right now in London, God forbid, you would lose everything. You know, you, you have no job, your family, your houses, everything. And so I didn't actually go back to Rwanda for 22 years. Like the day I left or the time I left after my father was killed a few months, give it, give it take. This was after when you f- f- uh, fled the country. Mm-hmm. You couldn't so go, was it, did you not want to go back because of what happened to your father or was it because you just didn't have the chance to go back? A mix of all of those. No. I couldn't go back because I didn't have the chance or I didn't have the money, a political situation and the opportunity also didn't arise for me to be able to go back. With what's happened with your life and your career now, you know, sometimes we don't, it's not as planned. So you may have been running the safari, but you actually went into, you know, being a flight attendant and lived in Dubai. And now you're a travel photographer. So explain to me how that all came about and where, what was your education actually? And what did you actually study in school? I was always passionate about geography. I know that when I came to France, I was like, I think I had the highest score in geography and history and geography um, in my region. I was very good at that. Hopefully my friends who are watching this will not accuse me. (laughs) Uh, And it's sort of like, it was always like rotating, you know, traveling, like the elements that I feel the most vibrant is if I'm traveling, if I'm talking to people like you, I'm I'm taking photography, or I'm in a dynamic environment where I get to exchange with people, with different people and different cultures. And so to bring it back, when I did, um, when I was in the office and working in an office, it wasn't something that I thrived on. I was just miserable, but I had to pay the bills. And I remember I was at the airport. I was like, oh, yo, man, uh, in the south of France, I was like, I need to like, I need to move. And the opportunity for me to go to Dubai arrived. And I was like, what? I can work? I bounced out, which is funny because my mom used to work in the airline. Now I find myself working in an airline. And I want to live in Dubai, which was my father's dream to go and live in Dubai back in 1993. So which is like a funny way of the universe trying to sort of plug these things around it. And the funny thing is that I wanted to, before COVID, uh, so I, I, the opportunity I had to go to India and working, do a little bit of consulting because I work in the tourism industry, a broad range of like from hotel restaurants and airline. So I was like, okay, how do you, how, I got this consulting job to go and work for a small travel company in India, which is like sort of a little twink eye to my father's uh, side business safari. And so the guy owner was like, hey man, yeah, I think you could run some tours as well, bring people and stuff because, uh, you know, I want to bring like photography and stuff like that. So I was like, that would be so cool to be able to run photo photography tours because that's my passion, photography and meeting locals and talking and and going to sceneries and experiencing like amazing events and then bring the whole circle back. The first thing is the, the, the your job in Dubai. So you were a flight Flight attendant. attendant. Yeah. So you worked for Emirates, I believe. Mm -hmm. So whilst you were working as a flight attendant, how did you actually find it? Did you actually think, I wish I had more time to explore, but I don't on a flight again onto, did it become a chore? 
or did it become it was still part of your life you enjoyed it uh I, i'm always quite curious to find out what what, what people think what, what what flight attendants go through in that sense i think for me it was a it was a bit of everything because um it was a gift for me to come out of like france and i was always like feeling not in my place in this in france you know it's always like i'm a world person when people like mind small minds small small little things for me i was just like oh no i need to get out of here and so when i got the job for to work for an international airline with 190 something nationalities almost 200 nationalities it's huge it's huge and being at the heart of the world because the heart of the world is not europe or america the heart of the world is in asia in the early 2000 end of 2008 uh, almost 2000 the 10s i was i'll call them dubai was a, was the center of the world i mean you don't have five six hours and you have a radius of five six five hours actually and you have half of the world's population think about it it's huge you know from chinese indians pakistanis filipinos indonesian it's huge and to be able to access all that kind of information and access all that kind of people and and the possibility to go from one place to the other like one week you're in rio at the end of the week you're in in uh, moscow and it's freezing minus 30 it was crazy i mean it was not natural because the human body is not supposed to be doing this kind of things like flying over like time zones and stuff i paid a huge price in terms of health wise so maybe the now the years now i'm trying to take care of myself i think it was a blessing you know like in what way has it affected your health mm, uh, because of, yeah the sleep patterns and stuff like okay. that um, and also like i think seeing a lot of people because my teams always change constantly and so like you remember when i was telling you i was feeding the 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 wolf within me the dark side and the trauma and all that kind of stuff not taking care of it and sort of ignoring it i think that had also an impact on it because is you meet a lot of people and energy clashes like bang you know like two planets hitting into each other and then you leave bang then then you leave again and, and you know like constantly every week every month every year that's a lot of toll into you like emotional and spiritually and your energy and so for me like i remember for 9 years i have done a little bit of work on myself and sound at the, my energy level at that time was I had this great incredible energy that I didn't control and it was just out while out there you know and it had it had a lot of pain that I didn't take care of and it it's still like taking I'm like damn I'm a 37 year old man trying to take care of my my pain and trauma and stuff but which is a good thing you know there's no shame to it and but it's a blessing because you know like it gave me the like I talked to a lot of people about things that I've done and they're like oh it's it's crazy and stuff. I mean I was able to like go to places and see things that only people can imagine in movies and even in their lifetime they will never see they're not and be able to experience human beings at the spiritual and energy level that is not given to everybody. So for me I mean like wow that was just a huge experience. I can I can't even I can't even I don't even think I've still unpacked all that that has brought for me from that experience alone in my life right when you decided to leave that industry mm. what made you decide to do that was it just because of the lifestyle that you had and you wanted to pursue a career i guess in photography 
it was a uh, circumstances that a lot of that sort of pushed me out <laughs> i would say um when you say circumstances is it just uh, the situation with your contract or was it just life in general or oh, no with myself in terms of like i was saying that my my myself i wasn't like my i was at the point where i was just in a dark spot yeah, yeah i'd be i had a right because it's like you don't take for it a while it's yeah I'm, I'm still here the spot that was right there right there it's like i'm still i'm still until the day it says okay hello i'm here like knocking on the wood you need to do something about me you know what i mean uh, and finally, yeah, it, it just, I had to maybe like now sort of like, okay, what's the new chapter for my life? What do I want to, what direction do I want to? to. Travel photography itself, mm -hmm. you've made, I've been looking at your work fantastic, I must say. You Thank know, you. I, I, I did a bit of, I, I went to school, art school myself. Photography was something I learned as well. But so can I ask you about the, some of the challenges you have? with travel photography and i guess obstacles that you might face you know how difficult is it to break into photography as a travel photographer because it's not an easy because otherwise everyone would be doing it in fact we get people saying you know well we're, we're all photographers these days we've all got cameras literally on our in our pockets but what makes a photographer special it comes with your storytelling Obviously, everybody has an artistic eye, their own way, um, their own vision of the world, and then sensibilities across uh, true experiences and other factors that make them the one to tell the story in a certain perspective. For me, my perspective and my circumstances were brought on upon that my education, because I had schooling from Africa. So I was still one part of the story. And then obviously I used to consume a lot of documentaries. And obviously like my love for me wanting to narrate and document all those stuff. And then when I came to Europe, I had another education, right? So then I started adding up one plus two doesn't equal to two and things didn't start making sense. And, and I started seeing like sometimes this, this the truth of the story distorted. So I started questioning those things. But when I went into travel photography at the beginning for me, when I started taking pictures, obviously, like if I always tell my friends the funny joke, I'll be like, damn, man, if I really took myself seriously, because YouTube, Instagram, and all these things, like if I had started when I started traveling, because I remember I used to send pictures to my family on email, remember email, and it was like, I was like, I can't, I sent 10 pictures and I had to send them like 10 emails with. 10 photos in each email and it wasn't doing it so i said i was like you know what guys sign up for facebook i think i was among the first few people who had facebook in france back in 2006 and i told him okay sign up for facebook and i'll be sending it out. so if i had been strategic about it and said like okay i'm opening a facebook page a youtube thingy get a camera and like vlog like today i'll be in a different position on instagram anyway <laughs> but that's okay uh, so when I started telling stories at the beginning, it was just me like, hey, trying to like document. I mean, he, I mean, I, I think I, I haven't posted a lot of pictures of very early on my work around 2008. You see me a lot of the pictures, jumping, doing funny, funny stuff. Then I would say 2010, 11, I was like, you know what? I'm done with this thing. I, I need to change. I, I could see like my narration started changing because I was like documentaries like 
Incans, Mayans, Aztecs, the guys in China, or people in in all these different civilization. I was like, what is what can I learn from this civilization? What can I go and visit there? What can I learn about them with the small amount of time I had? So I, I think I started a series of visiting all the world monument world wonders. Then I finished that. Then I started going to the civilization. Then I'll go to Egypt. Then I'll go to uh, Petra. Then I'll go to the, um, the the ones in South America and all that kind of stuff. But then as I was more and more, before I used to be more and more in the picture, then I was less and less out of my picture. Then I started like, I could see that my eye also started changing in terms of like what story I wanted to tell or the cohesiveness of, this, of, of the lines or something that I was pursuing, right? And if I could put out all my workout, you see like it's changed dramatically and the stories have been different and the sensibility is different. My also creative and technicality also has changed. Um, I still love colors because I think the world is full of pain and sadness. So that's why I infuse a lot of my, if you go on my Instagram, is like, wow, it's, it's multicolorful, just like the world. You know, everybody comes in shades, different shades. So I always try and also portray that in my photography. And how it's challenging, I think, because I was not part of the first wave to take Instagram seriously, I think I came to the IG game quite late around 2016. I was like, ah, yeah, it's just like people that are just posting about something, selfies or something. And you remember you used to put a lot of filters on the picture on Instagram. It was like just bad. So yeah, obviously, if you don't have that sort of first uh, first movers advantage, it's kind of hard. But it's not late. It's okay. You know, like the thing about me as a human being and as a storyteller and as uh, my flaw is that sometimes I lack of self confidence and I lack self awareness. And sometimes it's your your brain trying to hijack you because you're like, oh my god, I look at Sheb's work. Wow, Sheb's work is amazing. And then you're trying to compare Sheb's work. There's only one Sheb's. There's no like a million. You're Jupiter, he's Shebs. That's it. He has a different sensibility. You have a different sensibility. And so trying to jump out that that, so that prison of self-comparison and trying to compare, I think is more it's it's hard because obviously the algorithm and sometimes rewards people have larger followings and maybe if you show a little bit of a skin and stuff like that. Um and so I but there are tools, you know, I can't like I can't I mean, I'm sometimes like, I'm, I can't believe my work sometimes gets seen. Like now you and me are talking over Zoom, you know, like we connected through somebody I met through Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, from what I've gathered from what you've just said, mm. your work is more social media based. Is that where the majority of your income comes? Where you, or is it something else? Well, now I'm self-funding myself. Um, and is, it, is that is that through your work that you know the, you're selling your pictures or h- how is it coming? How is that coming about? Would you say? So now I've I've started to be strategic more about it. Like before, I didn't have a website, mm-hmm. so I structured it to have a website. So now I'm looking into okay, how can I sell pictures? But to sell pictures, you have to also think about what people want. It's not like just anything. Mm, I also look down on like okay, maybe to because also I need to build a community. I think to be able to like have a small steady of income. So it's trying to align community, trying to see what products you can sell. Some people told me I should start doing like courses. I'm like, there's so many courses like Lightroom or storytelling. I'm like, okay, maybe storytelling. I think it's something that I'm like sort of starting to think about. 
Um, so this is a like access. I'm looking for courses, book, uh, like photo books. I think they call them. So I'm like in the process of creating one with which I can do a lot of series from different stuff. You mentioned something very important. That it's about building a community, and I've been saying this. It's about how how much you can give back to people, and it's the building a community takes a long time. It's mm -hmm. not an easy thing to do. That's one of the challenges, I think, with anything creative, anything, a photographer or if you're a Video videographer or you're talking about YouTube, you know, and you were talking about vlogging, by the way. I was, because I did, I went to art school, as I said, I was actually technically, I didn't call it a vlog, but it's called a vlog now. I was vlogging in 2007 you know but oh gee <laughs> but but it wasn't known as vlogging you know i did a i remember i did a video of me drinking something and put it on facebook but it it wouldn't just imagine if 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 tiktok was around then or something you know it's it just didn't have the algorithm. Facebook was just for friends at the time. There was no yeah. such thing as, Facebook you know, you page. put it out. Yeah, no such thing as, you know, Facebook page where you do mm. to public and stuff. So it's changed over time, of course, but I, I'm not saying I was one of the first guys to do it. I'm sure there was other people doing the same thing, but mm. uh, it, took, it, it, it literally takes time, as you were saying there. But I, I think you're on the right path. You know, it's uh, you're on like a trajectory that's going to go up. Uh, you're going to find, by the way, where there's going to be dips. Uh, then you can it'll go back on up, but that's with anything. So with, I always think of it as like the financial stock market. It'll go up, <laughs> and then it will drop down. Then it'll go up. So eventually, what you want to be is with the, like any with the stock market, mm -hmm. it will be dips, but it is it goes up towards the skyline. That that's what usually works. So hopefully, you can get to that sort of stage very soon. Where would you like to see yourself with development wise in the next year or so? The next year, um, taking my storytelling more visual, so like uh, combining um, visual, it means photography and video. So it's something I'm actually like. That's very tough, by the way, I have to say, because I tried to do that last year. I did do that actually when I went mm. to Turkey. Very difficult to do both. You might be in a position, by the way, to hire someone yeah. to do the videography and stuff, because uh, obviously photography is your is your. Um, bread and butter uh, well, i found I, I don't know you might find it easy but it was so i just found it so difficult to do both things the thing is that i never jumped into videography because i was just like eh, i'm too shy and stuff like that um although I, people have told me like i have a presence as well on like on video on more like like on a video level um the reason I wanted to add it into more is like because you can hear the voice, the narration is different, storytelling. I have a few series that I have in mind as well. Uh, and I've fixed one side of my life as well that will allow me to be able to like now focus and explore more my creativity in a better way than before. Um, and I think that's also going to allow me to be able to come online and people can see me like photo is static. But like people can see you visually, and then you can sort of give advice and and grow your community as well, you know, and and give like value as you were saying earlier. Your story is very unique, you know, migrating towards another country, fleeing, making it a success. Why don't you tell? Again, this is up to yourself, but have mm -hmm. you thought about maybe 
telling your story and then because i think people more, more people might be able to relate to it i, I don't know if, if you thought about that yeah yeah that's that's the thing that's why i wanted to add the video part of it because in the in the in the photo format you can just write words and stuff like that which is so strong but um i wanted to add the video aspect and then bring the viewer with me or the person maybe who's who cannot see so then they can hear if it's audio wise like a podcast if they can if they can hear but they can see then they can see visually through the videos and stuff like that you know what i mean and one of the things I was going to say to you, you have to evolve with time. You know, you can't just do one medium. You're going to have to become. And what I'm saying is it, it's not easy. That's the oh, thing. Oh, yeah. It's nothing is very easy, difficult. Oh, nothing <laughs> is it. But the amount of hours you're going to spend videoing, editing, photography, all of that, you know, so you're probably going to be working for nothing for the first year, yes, two least, years. But yeah. then you've then, once you've got the foundation, you know, then you, you're in a position to say, okay, I've done all this. What have you learned as a person traveling? What is it, What would you say has been a defining moment in your life? Obviously, you've gone through something very early in your life. But since then, what have you learned whilst you've been on the road? Being pragmatic and being um, empathic around the community that are people who host me. And I've been quite fortunate like i mean i don't know even i can't count the times i've been quite fortunate to be welcome into communities um very far away be it in india be it in, in portugal be it in france or brazil and being taken in like people like taking in must be a son and so being very open to people being honest and and being very empathetic because people or the communities go through a lot of things and um a try and which is something super hard sometimes to get clouded by my own um, judgment or by my own prejudice or by my own um, sort of um, thing thinking like European way of mind or something like that and trying to bring that mind frame into some other communities you know and and try and listen to people from their point of view and I think it's something important because I had a conversation last year with somebody in India. Uh, when we were down in the lockdown and I was like, man, you should be using this time to do this, da, da, da. You know, I was trying to, and I was like, wait, hold on, Jukes. Like, he was explaining me something. But as I was listening to him and I was listening to myself speak, I was like, wait, you're trying to use your frame of mind to impose, you know what I mean? Because of what I know, because of what I can see. But maybe for him, it's okay. In that situation, it's okay. He doesn't, you know, he maybe he's in the moment and stuff like that. And so sometimes it's tricky. It's very tricky. But yeah, being empathetic, being responsible in the stories that we tell as well, uh, especially we, I mean, we are like quite fortunate. I mean, like I can get a ticket to go to Bali, go to here, go to wherever, you know, and go to anywhere with my, my, with my camera, tell the snap the picture and sleep in an Airbnb or sleep in a hotel, wherever be the case. Um, and we have a responsibility and moral responsibility when we tell the stories. I don't know if you heard about the new colonialization of territories, be it uh, we going to somewhere as a remote worker or stuff like that. I mean, these are problems that are going to start arising as well. Obviously, they need our, they need our money, but at the same time, like at what point we are sort of washing down their culture with our culture, you know what I mean? Um, and it's like, it's a, Thing that always fighting with me between, because I was a refugee at the beginning. You know, I know how brothers and sisters were dying in the Mediterranean and other parts of the world. 
and I have an opportunity to live a good life in here in Europe, and how can I live my best life? At the same time, they are trying also to find a better life, and, and they are dying. And so when we go to those places with our advantages, then how can we sort of, you know, be responsible in the story for that? It's all about communities, integrating yeah. into the community and seeing, and hopefully it has, from what the sounds of it anyway, mm -hmm. it's mellowed you out, it's turned you into an all-round individual. Listen, Jupiter, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming out. It's flown by. I will bring you back on another time to speak to you thank about you, more stuff in more detail, but no, I really appreciate it. Fantastic, Great. brother. Thank right, you Jupiter, so much for Thank you very call. much, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Stay safe. You can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.